On February 14th of this year, a gunman opened fire at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, killing 17 students and staff members and injuring 17 others. The shooting is the deadliest school shooting in America since the 1999 Columbine High School shooting. Mass shootings are plaguing the lives of Americans, and especially young Americans. Just this week on Wednesday evening, there was a mass shooting in a crowded country and western dance hall in Thousand Oaks, California, where a weekly event for college students was taking place. Twelve people was shot dead by gunman Ian David Long, a Marine Corps veteran who had served in Afghanistan. Before the shooting in Parkland, Florida, there was a period of rising national public support for gun control following the two recent mass shootings in October and November of 2017. After Parkland, the inaction of legislators sparked the movement Never Again, started by students from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. The movement, now called March for Our Lives, rose very quickly to the national stage and has since pushed legislative action on gun violence and is building support for their cause through a huge campaign. Matt Deitch is one of the founding members of the organization March for Our Lives. I had the opportunity to talk to him at one of their rallies in Houston, Texas. I am the chief strategist at March for Our Lives. I've been traveling the country and the world uh, talking about gun violence prevention and uh, youth leadership and uh, how important it is to have youth um, advocates at the table when discussing the issues that affect us. And today we're in Houston, Texas yes. at one of your rallies. And tell me a little bit about the format here and why you're here basically. Uh, we're in Houston because of many reasons. We believe that uh, by coming here and speaking to young people and also driving them to the polls, we can help raise the youth turnout of this area. Uh, most colleges have abysmal youth turnout uh, in elections. Uh, under uh, 50% a lot of the time in places like Harvard, uh, the youth turnout was under 20%. Uh, so we want to use these institutions to help facilitate more political engagement and political education. And so at a rally like this, where we have the opportunity to sit on a panel with uh, astronaut Mark Kelly and gun violence survivor and former congresswoman Gabby Giffords, uh, we get to truly speak to our target, target audience and also um, engage people in a unique way. Uh, the issue a lot of the time with our politics is that we uh, use single metrics or single uh, forms of communication of ideas. We either use media or interviews or rallies or community-based rallies or things like that. And so at March for Our Lives, we praise, uh, we pride ourselves in being able to diversify the way that we communicate with our target audience, whether it's using celebrities or using congresswomen or using um, just door to door, or uh, it, it's all about finding a new, unique way to localize this message because this affects people in so many different ways. Yeah. So, why you're here today is basically to create turnout, right? Yes. So, what did you do before this part of the strategy, creating turnout? What did you do before? Like what, last week or before that? No, like six months ago. Like. <laughs> six months ago. Um, we were planning the road to change. Uh, we did 
two tours around the country. The first one went to all 27 congressional districts in Florida and then multiple states in the Deep South. And another tour went to over 75 congressional districts, over 35 states around the country. And uh, we held town halls, rallies, community-based events, lots of fundraising for different gun violence prevention groups around the country. Uh, so six months ago, that's what was on my plate. Uh, and then we got through that, and that that endeavor was larger than any presidential campaign. We hit more areas and more districts and more communities and more people than any other campaign in American history. Um, personally, I spoke to over 150,000 people one-on-one. Uh, during the summer, which sounds impossible, yeah, but it was incredible. <laughs> and I learned a lot about this country, and I learned a lot about the vulnerable people in this country. We went to places like Standing Rock, um, the Sioux Reservation there, and talked about how their fight just for clean water and um, for the government to leave them alone. And we went to places like Houston, Texas, where we spoke to gun violence survivors and victims' families. Um, that get covered up, that get ignored because the local government doesn't want to address uh, their trauma. Uh, we went to Ferguson, Missouri and met with Mike Brown Sr., whose son was killed by a police officer and left on the hot concrete for over four hours, uh, and how they're still fighting for justice. So this summer, six months ago, was very much about us. The march, the, the first part, phase one, was about the march, and it was about having America stand up and the youth stand up and know that their voice carries weight. And then phase two was the road to change. The road to change was about meeting America, about knowing how segregated we are, not only in our ideas and our race and our religion, but just geographically how we ignore the problems of our neighbors and we wanted that to be different and then phase three was vote for our lives it was all about boosting turnout running our chapters we have over 200 chapters around the country um, in almost every state and it's about empowering them to uh, be the change locally in their community uh, and work on these large-scale projects to help um, facilitate this change and get rid of some of these politicians that don't give a shit about us and now phase four is, uh, that's a secret, but that's a, that's next, <laughs> and I'm really excited about that, too. <laughs> okay. You're not going to let that drop on for Radio Utblick audience? Not yet. All right. No, we're going to announce it soon, though. Yeah, I would probably wait, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, like... But we can talk then. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah. That'd be nice. <laughs> but what are you hoping to achieve with this election? Like, concrete stuff that can be measured, like, not from a week from now but because of the results that are going to be clear in like five, six days. We're creating lifetime voters. This isn't just about boosting youth turnout once and... Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, this isn't just about boosting youth turnout for this one election cycle. We're creating an educated voting block that will grow up wanting and craving a better America and knowing that together we can get there. And so in 2018, we'll see the largest youth turnout in midterm election history, full stop. And then that organization, that structure, because it's not built around any one person, it's built around ideas, it's built around policy that we know can save our lives, we will continue fighting this fight. Uh, not only in this election cycle, not only in the next election cycle, but in every election cycle until we end up with morally just leaders. Because the way our democracy is supposed to work is like that. We're supposed to end up with someone who actually cares and someone who can make the right decisions that can, can ensure our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so what we want to see is a cultural shift in this country away from the bullshit that we've been taking for so long that has led to so much carnage and see young people compassionately lead this country. And so uh, 
in 2020, I hope to see a lot more young people run for office, and I hope uh, that this, uh, or I know that this youth block, this voting block of uh, 18-year-olds this year will become 20-year-olds in the next election cycle, and the 16-year-olds that have been volunteering on the ground and and leading this conversation in their community, growing up with the same fear that drives us, um, and the same hope for change that keeps us going every single day, will be the voters of tomorrow. And those people will be even more compassionate, more direct, more militant in the way that they approach this issue, because unless we change something, it's going to continue. There is a mass shooting today in Tallahassee in my state. Four people shot and killed in a yoga studio. It hasn't reached the front page yet because there hasn't been a page printed. Yeah. But unless we change the way that we look at this issue radically and, uh, and, and actually seek solutions and have leaders that actually seek solutions instead of just allowing for this violence to perpetuate, uh, we're not safe in this country. And as long as the problem continues, you're not worried about the deflation of your own movement? Kind of. Every day we gain momentum. Yeah. Every day we talk to more people. We door knocked on over 550 doors in my three-person group. We had several of them go out and dorm storm. That's hundreds of conversations that we're having of people who are simply unengaged by the system because there's a reason politicians do not come to college campuses. There's a reason that high schoolers are ignored by our elected officials because they don't want to have to address the problems that we face because we're not the voters. We're not the ones, for the most part, historically, that are putting these people in office. But now we are, and we're going to change that. What's your best case scenario like in a few days? What would you like to see that's like Every single on the map? person that took money from the NRA loses, but that's not going to happen because some of them are in safe seats, but they'll start to feel the pressure. And so my best case scenario is I want, I want an overwhelming youth wave to determine every single toss-up election. And that doesn't just mean Democrat or Republican. That means whatever candidate speaks more to our values as young people will be the ones that represent us. And that will be the blueprint moving forward. You think that's going to be the door opener on getting legislation through the Congress, for instance, on, on gun restrictions? Yeah, but it's not just about Congress. It's also about the state level. And we've been able to pass over 60 state laws that have actively saved lives. And so we're not just looking at the House of Representatives and the Senate. We're looking at governor races and state house races that could be the deciding factor of whether or not a background check bill goes through uh, in certain states, or extreme risk protection order goes through in certain states, or we make it uh, illegal for domestic abusers to get weapons in certain states. Because America is built on so many different bureaucracies that we need to focus on the holistic idea of this policy and not just the people, because it's the people who could disappoint us. But the policy, if we're holding those people accountable, will go through. Um, and that's what's going to get a lot of these people elected, is whether or not they're good on this issue. So, did March for Our Lives manage to get young people to go vote? The 2014 midterm elections saw the lowest numbers in 40 years for young people voting. The vote is up all across the board, in all age groups. Young people came out. From 26% in 2014 up to an estimated 40% participation in the age group of 18 to 29 year olds. Though it can be perceived everyone came out to vote, the actual numbers are dismal 
compared to a country like Sweden, where 88% participated in the recent elections in September. There seems to be a disconnect in the United States of America when it comes to rallying for a cause and actually acting on that cause, casting a vote in the election. March for Our Lives might not have been as successful as they had hoped in this election. In Florida, both the Senate seat and governor went to NRA-backed Republicans. Republican Governor Rick Scott, running for Senate, won the race against incumbent Democrat Senator Bill Nelson. Rick Scott won by a small margin. The gap keeps getting smaller as the count continues from mailed-in ballots and provisionals cast on election night. They are still being counted. And also, a default recount is underway due to the short gap. 15,127 votes separates Rick Scott and Bill Nelson in the Senate race, a difference of 0.18%. A definite result may take more than a week. In the election race for governor, Andrew Gillum, a Democrat, also lost the race against a Republican and NRA-backed candidate Ron DeSantis. The gap between them was on election night 0.44%, no more than 36,000 votes. Being the state of Florida, the recount may happen or it might not. On Thursday evening, the elected Senator Rick Scott started a lawsuit against the ongoing count and potential recount, accusing the Florida liberals of trying to steal the election. Let's say the count holds up and Ron DeSantis wins governor and Rick Scott wins the Senate seat. What also happened on Tuesday night was Floridians overwhelmingly voted to pass Amendment 4. Amendment 4 automatically restores voting rights to felons who have completed their sentences. 1.2 million new voters that previously to Tuesday night had lost their right to vote due to incarceration. The amendment passed by a bigger margin than 60%, both in blue and red districts of Florida. 1.2 million new voters that are more likely to vote blue than red. Mind the gap in the elections to both Senate and Governor, and throw in the potential of 1.2 million new voters for 2020. And what you might have in the presidential election is a totally new political landscape. Remember also the weight Florida carries when it comes to electing the President of the United States. This new reality just confirms the bigger story of this 2018 election. Voter demographics. Not the immediate results it brought in this election, but what it's going to bring in the next one, and the one after that one, and the one after that. It could mean America going more progressive in years to come, or it could mean going more divided. Whether or not you are an optimist or a pessimist, you should consider the new landscape from both sides. This election, the Democrats almost felt invigorated. They elected more female and diverse candidates, and also a female Democratic Socialist elected to Congress from New York City. 29 years old, the youngest ever elected to Congress. The Republicans voted against all that, and depending on Trump and for how long he remains and sets the tone, Republicans are going to have to change at some point, to up their game in order to stay fighting under the new rules of voter demographics. If not, a lot of states are going to swing blue 
and never again turn red.